the GameCube, GameCube was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. Yeah, so anyway, that's why the pizza place near my house is no longer safe for kids. Uh, Mike, <laughs> so we ju- we just hit uh, 10,000 downloads. That's a huge uh, milestone for the show. 10,000 downloads in about nine months? Yeah. I think that's about right. That's absolutely huge. Obviously, just want to thank mm-hmm. everyone for listening, for uh, being so supportive over these last few months uh, and, you know, uh, enabling us to get to 10,000 downloads by the end of February, which Neil and I thought was impossible. So... Yeah, I still remember the first week that the show went live, and it was 20 downloads, and I was amazed by that. <laughs> yeah, you were like, oh my god, 20 people are listening to us? I think that's in the uh, the, the actual um, first episode, if I remember correctly. It'll be in the second episode, I guess. Oh, yes. That was the Lu- Luigi's Mansion, but the, after the first episode, it was 20 downloads in that first week, and I thought we'd get like two, three. <laughs> it's like, oh wow, 20, that's tenfold what I thought we'd get, and now it's on average 1,000 a month on a, or so, which is... Pretty cool. Pretty um, cool. What amazes me is the fact that someone out there downloads Mario Sunshine and listens to it every single day since it's gone live. Hmm. If you if, that's if crazy. you think of it that like in that sense, yeah. it's pretty crazy. Yeah, and then there's other episodes on top of that. We have a little bit of a backlog going, which is exciting, and we're still going strong. With we're just over 200 games. We're not even halfway done, so it's exciting to see where it all goes from here. Let's uh, try and get to what? What's the next milestone? Do you think 20,000? I think it's 20,000, Neil. Yeah, we we kind of double it. You know, we did a 5,000 one uh, before this, mm-hmm. so yeah, I think it's kind of double each time. So yeah, 20,000 is the next goal. All right, road to 20,000. Let's see if we can do it in what do you think? Seven months? I think we could do it. Yeah, maybe September or so. But uh, September. Neil, you yeah, did okay. say that we have a quite an impressive backlog building up. Uh, and mm-hmm. Neil, now it's time for one of our favorite segments. Oh. It's Neil attempts to guess the top Gosh. 10 episodes of oh, the GameCube is cool. <laughs> oh, I didn't know we were going to do this ahead of time. That's right. All this right, is me catch, catching you off guard. Oh, geez. Okay, <laughs> I'm grabbing a scrap of paper here. Hang on one second. Oh, okay. Uh, I couldn't tell you see. ahead of time. Oh, man. I don't know if I'm going to edit this part or just leave it in live as this is. I'm writing down. You're so lucky I had a piece of paper next to me. To remind the listeners, last time we did this, Neil did not do too well. I think he only mm-hmm. got like a couple of points. Uh, how mm-hmm. we do it is you get a point for each game you get or each episode you guess. And also you get a point, an extra point if he guesses it in the correct order. So let's start off, Neil. What do you think is number 10? Okay, Mike. Uh, so for number 10, my guess, I don't think it's right, but I'm going to go with Spider-Man games. Unfortunately, that is not in the top 10 at all. Okay, great. Not on top 10. Uh, so number nine, I have Tony Hawk. Uh, not in the top 10 at all, unfortunately. Mm, okay. <laughs> Good start. Okay. No, oh, thank you. You said games that I like might be on here, so those are two games that I like. That's true. All right, here's a game that I love, Pikmin at number eight. Ding, ding, ding. Yes. Two points because Pikmin is at number eight. Two points. Okay, so we're not going to do half points. We're doing two and one. That's right. Okay, gotcha. Number seven, I'm going to say Nightfire. Eh. Unfortunately, only one point. Uh, okay. Uh, I shouldn't have done that. Eh. I got to do another noise yeah. for like the, you know, just the one yeah, point. Like, 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 like a, eh. I'll do. <laughs> okay, the golf nice clap. golf clap. <laughs> yeah. the, 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 the Dumbledore clap where it's just, you know. A little, yeah. <laughs> yeah okay. uh, Nightfire is obviously in there because it is one of our favorite episodes and one of our best at number five. Oh, okay, number five. So I know I got number five wrong, so that's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, number six, I'm going to say Animal Crossing. Ding, ding. Yes, uh, it, it is at exactly number six, so you get two points. All right, number six. You'll have five points right now. Five points, love it. 
Uh, what am I at now? Number five? Mm-hmm. I'll say Luigi's Mansion at number five. Uh, so oh, close. Yeah. Uh, mm. Luigi's Mansion, not at number five, but it is in the top ten. Okay, so I get a one point there. I just realized I didn't put down a number four. Uh, so I'm just going to guess uh, top of my head, Resident Evil. Eh, unfortunately, yeah. Resident Evil is not in the top ten. It was between Resident Evil and um, uh, Metroid Prime, but I remember Metroid Prime did not do as well as we hoped. Uh, okay, so number, what are we at now? Three? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll go with Melee. Ding, 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 ding. Another yes. two points for Neil. Melee is Ooh. our number three most downloaded episode. I think this is the best I've done since we played this game. Yeah, you got seven <laughs> points so far. Keep it going. Number yeah, two. Okay, cool. Number two. All right, uh, launch day. Ding, ding, ding. Another two points. Neil up to nine. And I think we all know what number one is, Neil. Why don't you tell the listeners? Scooby-Doo, number one. <laughs> Somehow Scooby-Doo doubled the rest of the episodes wow. and downloads. Crazy. Wow. No, uh, Super Mario Sunshine, of course. <laughs> for sure. That is our number one episode and probably will be our number one episode for a long time. Uh, probably. It is doing great at number one there. Uh, but uh, the games that you missed, Neil, uh, were, of course, Metroid Prime, which... Uh, oh, it, was, it was in the top ten. In, the, okay. in number seven. Um, oh. uh, you also missed uh, Star Fox Adventures, Eternal mm-hmm. Darkness Cubivore episode, coming in at number mm-hmm. nine. And number ten, which was a hard one, was, was uh, the Dreamcast episode. Oh, okay. Those are so early on now, the Star Fox and the Dreamcast episode. <laughs> I think we did those very close. August not and July, two, yeah, two yeah, weeks apart. They were very close together, and they're good episodes. I, I remember doing them and thinking the Dreamcast one was especially fun to record. Yes. So I'm glad that they're still doing so well. They're doing great. So, yeah, Sunshine, GameCube Launch Day, Melee, Luigi's Mansion, Nightfire, Animal Crossing, Metroid Prime, Pikmin, Star Fox Adventures, and the Dreamcast are our top 10 episodes after 10,000 downloads. Okay, sweet. Well, good to see a lot of those first-party games making it. Uh, I mean, this year we still have – we've done Mario Party. I don't think that will ever make it into the top 10. But uh, we have Double Dash coming up, of course. And Wind Waker, uh, of course, our first Zelda entry. Yep, Resident Evil 4 to do in October. So lots of exciting first-party games. Uh, I guess in about six or seven months, we'll be talking about this again once we hit another 10,000 downloads. That's right. Sweet. Uh, but, uh, Mike, last week we covered Wario games and, of course, video game collecting in general. We had Retro 88 on the on the show. That was a lot of fun. I ran a Wario poll on Instagram just to see what uh, the folks out there would like to see come to Switch. It was Wario Land slash World versus WarioWare. Uh, and Wario Land actually won uh, 68% to 32%. I think that makes sense. Most people don't even really know of WarioWare or they just think of it as the thing in Smash games on stages. I think so, but I, th- I, th- I feel like the people that follow us on Instagram are gamers and know hmm. what WarioWare is, and I-, I think it's just been so long since a Wario Land game that they just want to see it come back. We've had That's nine WarioWare games at this point and only a handful of Wario Land games. So We did get a couple of people saying both uh, to us, so, which is true. We want oh. both as well. Yeah, you can't have that. That's not how a poll works, though. <laughs> <laughs> it would be nice for sure, but I don't think we're going to get two Wario franchises on Switch. I could be wrong. don't think so. No. Mike, I got to talk to you about something very important. Strawberries. Oh, you mean like strawberries shaped like Wario? He's kind of shaped like a strawberry, like an upside he's, down strawberry. Yeah, he's got that <laughs> that uh, unattainable body type that every man is looking for. <laughs> that unattainable girth. <laughs> oh, yeah. That lovely, lovely build. He does. There are some photos when I was looking at sidebar on Wario. Some of like his photos, he was jacked. Like, Yeah, he's either still- jacked or just like really fat. Still overweight. Like, even the pictures where he was jacked, he was overweight. But he looked like a Dragon Ball Z character. His arms were very well-defined. He's building his abs up underneath the fat. I guess so. And his arms, just no fat stored there. (laughs) 
anyway, no, I'm talking to you, of course, about the, the fruit, the strawberry, yes. the uh, the red berry with the green stem. For those of you that don't know, I think my number uh, one fruit. You know, we'll get into uh, tier lists of fruit in another episode, but it's uh, definitely S tier. Okay. Oh, absolutely. But this is going to go even deeper than that, Mike. We're going to go into what's your favorite type of strawberry in terms of shape? Yes. Yeah. I When you were talking to me earlier about this, Neil, we actually mm-hmm. saw this uh, through Instagram on yeah. a, uh, a, a little chart that says, uh, well, you can bleep this, that says, ah! your zodiac sign. Uh, what's your favorite type of strawberry? Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a whole bunch of these, you know, it ranges from like the the uh, very kind of squished down strawberry all mm-hmm. the way to those really elongated strawberries that, you know, are genetically modified. Yes, they look like a carrot. <laughs> yeah, th- those are there's just something wrong with those. I'll post this photo on our story. I think the day that this episode goes live as a companion piece so mm-hmm. people can know what we're talking about. Uh, if you're listening to this years in the future, I'm sorry, <laughs> <laughs> but there's there's eight categories going from plump to uh, long, as Mike said, there's a uh, oblate, globose, globose conic, conic, <laughs> long conic, necked, long wedge, and short wedge. Now, Mike, where do you? You've had some time to think about this. Where do you come down on the shape of strawberry you're going to go for in the container? I, I'm thinking, I'm a guy who likes his globose conic, which are kind of like the the. Mm. It's kind of the yeah. Looks That's like the Ontario Oreo. strawberry. Yeah, exactly. That's the Ontario strawberry look. Yeah, it's a smaller one. It's kind of more condensed. You know, the flavor is is you know just it's full of flavor, mm-hmm. uh, and you know the whole thing is going to be very red. You're not going to have those white spots anywhere. Uh, mm. Yeah, the the smaller, more more meatier strawberry is definitely my my favorite shape. What about you, Neil? I think you're right with the globus conic or conic. Those two are really the shapes that come to mind with me uh, for strawberries. If you if you're getting into the long conic, the necked, and the sh- and the long wedge, you're really getting a pack of strawberries there from California that were ge- definitely genetically modified. <laughs> probably don't have as much flavor, but those are good for making chocolate dipped strawberries because they have more surface area. It's true. So they have that in their advantage, which of course is key uh, around holidays like Valentine's Day, Christmas. But yeah, if I'm just going to have a bowl of strawberries, I think for sure the conic shape is the way to go. And if you're not from Ontario, uh, you might not know what we're talking about. Ontario strawberries, they're grown right around Canada Day, early July is their season. Mm. Uh, they're fantastic. They're only around for a couple weeks and oh, so good. Want some right now. I think I'm just going to actually leave the episode. So Neil, if you want to just do this whole show on your own right now, uh, go for it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, while Mike is gone, I'm going to move on to our new favorite segment. Mike, are you back already? Yeah, I got a few strawberries from Niagara. Mm, Nice. Mm, So good. Good strawberries. All right, Mike, let's move on to our new favorite segment. It's time for the mailbag. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the mailbag segment. This is where we read one positive review, sometimes negative, from anybody that has left us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Instagram. Today's review comes from Ben Zen Aboy. Or Ben Zamboni, as we like to call him. Ben Zamboni, thank you. Ben Zamboni, uh, from Apple Podcast. Ben says, great trip back to Nintendo's cubular days. Found this podcast through Reddit, and I was not disappointed at all when I listened. The guys are fun to listen to, and each game is talked about in depth. Being a similar age as the cube myself, I don't remember much of it, but this pod has given me some great recommendations to try on my GameCube other than the more popular or obvious titles. Love what you guys do. Hope they can continue until the whole GameCube catalog is covered and beyond that. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Ben. From uh, And that's a UK um, yes. uh, Apple podcast review. So thank you so much for that. We really appreciate it. Uh, and the fact that you are listening in 
the jolly old England is uh, is pretty crazy to us. Uh, you know, <laughs> when when we started this, I don't think we thought anyone outside of our circle of friends would ever listen to this. So I thought I'd have to struggle to get my mom to listen to it every <laughs> week, and that would be about it. <laughs> That's as far yeah. as you would go. Yeah, and it's really interesting that uh, Ben Ben Zamboni is as old as the GameCube itself, meaning that he might be around the age of twenty now, which means now Ben is old enough to play mature games. He can go buy mature games. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, which means that this episode is going to be perfect for you, Ben, because this is episode 39 of the GameCube is Cool podcast. New episodes every Thursday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the other podcast services. If you haven't already, take a moment to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We are the number one GameCube game podcast on the internet. We're here to look back on all 555 North American GameCube games, one by one, sometimes 12 by 12. Visit thegamecubeiscool.com to check out episodes available to download, read some articles, and explore our lovely store. The website was developed by our very own Mike Lane. That's me. That's you. Last week, we were joined by RetroWolf88 to talk about Wario and collecting video games. If you haven't already, go back and check it out. This week, we're here to cover open world and M-rated games on the GameCube, and these are just a bunch of games that, Mike, you really want to play. Yeah, I mean, so originally when we were kind of setting up these episodes, putting in games into different episode categories we didn't know where to put a lot of these ones and Mm -hmm. to be honest i really just wanted to play a lot of them i had never (laughs) played a bunch of these games almost all of them i guess and uh, a lot of them have been on my collection wish list for many years now and then i realized that they're all kind of similar they're all open world uh, or a lot of them are open world games uh i think all of them if if not maybe one or two are uh are m-rated games um, yep. and you know, these were games that I was never allowed to play as a kid <laughs> having a GameCube. So right. older Mike, future Mike, uh, really, <laughs> really enjoys, enjoyed playing these this week. Yeah. This is the, uh, the side of the GameCube that of course, Nintendo was really leaning into earlier on in the generation mm-hmm. where they were trying to appeal to that teen and adult audience. Now, everyone who had the NES, they're 16 years older. So they're in their twenties. They're looking for something a little bit more mature. So we got games here published by Rockstar, who, of course, they went on to develop uh, Red Dead Redemption and Grand Theft Auto, more notably. Mm -hmm. So it was a very short-lived era for Nintendo where they were making these open-world games, M-rated games with lots of violence and explosions and guns that we really don't see anymore so much, uh, unfortunately. And this was also a time when open-world was just just starting to come into uh, popularity where it really just became oversaturated uh, in the mid 2010s. Yes. But there really wasn't much like this back then. There was Zelda before and a few others on PC, of course. Uh, But but on console, it was really a new idea because the N64 didn't have the capabilities of doing many open world games. Ocarina of Time, not really an open world game truly. But uh, yeah, so we're going to talk about these games today that were on GameCube. Yeah, and and we do know, Neil and I do know that open world is quite a buzzword, especially today. You know, mm-hmm. just saying, it's like, look at, check out this new free-to-play open world game. You know, like, like <laughs> it's yeah. it's usually used just as a marketing tool rather than an actual genre, because it's not mm-hmm. an actual genre, obviously. But um, we, you know, at the, like you said, at, in the early 2000s, uh, the open world idea was really new and really exciting. Uh, mm-hmm. to people especially especially on a Nintendo console um, so some of the games that we're going to be talking about Smuggler's Run, True Crime Games and Gun these are all very much you know focused on the idea of just playing an open world game without really much else. Mm-hmm. Yeah this is much more of a genre that you're into I have played very few open world games the only one that really comes to mind that I fell down the rabbit hole in was Breath of the Wild mm-hmm. Uh, any anything else I never really stuck with like there's games of course people know Fallout Skyrim uh, 
what what else out there is those are two huge ones yeah. now because at the same time like like every kind of action adventure game has become sort of an open world uh because they kind of have to yeah i think of like assassin's creed coming out as more of a linear experience at first but every year it seemed to get more and more open it seems like if you have a game that isn't open world it's almost doomed to fail as if linear experiences aren't popular anymore which i don't think is true uh we had a game like you know last of us come out that was a fully linear experience that was great short condensed story i don't think you need to have an open world game every single time you can see that when we get a game like cyberpunk 2077 which was really trying to be an open world game like the witcher uh, which is what they make i think it would have been it it just seems like sometimes they get to be too ambitious and the games end up failing and not doing nearly as well as they hope. Like a game like No Man's Sky came out and tried to be the open world of open world (laughs) games and it just fell flat on its face. The Dark Souls of open world games. (laughs) God, I hate the Dark Souls metaphor. (laughs) But yeah, Uh, open world games, uh, you know, they, they're important. Like the idea of it is important because I think at the end of the day, it's, it's giving the player freedom. And that's what a player, any player wants mm -hmm. the most is the idea to have freedom in your game. Uh, and unfortunately, a lot of publishers just interpret this as the idea of let's just make a massive map uh, and mm-hmm. ha- let the player do whatever they want. But when you do that, you know, you you're not necessarily taking the the full ideals there of freedom. You're really just kind of making something big for someone to roam around in, not necessarily with with the tools that they would want to use. And that's why GTA, um, especially things like Vice City and San Andreas, really completely changed this world. Uh, and created these amazing open world games where you really could do anything you wanted. Um, Mm. And, you know, since then, the open world genre and the open world world, I guess, (laughs) uh, have really just become mainstays in in mainstream uh, video games. Yep. One of the risks that open world games run is that they also players find that there's they're too big and that there's nothing to do yes and that that was a huge hit against breath of the wild but it's it almost seems like that it depends on the player because the world is huge and the argument is you know there's no towns there's no villages and the ones that do exist are too small not enough things to do in between uh in between things going on which i actually found appealing in Mm -hmm. breath of the wild but there are there are gamers out there who want every bit of that world to be full of life and things to do something like uh the witcher the witcher 3 which came out like five years ago now six years ago and just full of side missions and side quests so there's that side of the argument and then there's the other side where you you have to try and find that balance which is very difficult for developers one thing that i found this week while researching the games we're going to be talking about today is also it seems like open world games don't seem to age well no (laughs) yeah that's true it's 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 difficult it's really difficult to for developers to make these games age well because they are often of a time, as we're going to see mm-hmm. with some of these games that we're going to bring up. Yep, no, for sure. So, Mike, why don't we start with uh, one of those games now? What do you think? Let's do it. All right, so let's start with Smuggler's Run 2 War Zones, which was released on August 7th, 2002, developed by Rockstar San Diego, known at the time as Angel Studios, published by Rockstar. Uh, it's also on PlayStation 2. It's around $20 today. It rated at about 8 out of 10, so it's a very good game for the time. Um, Mike, why don't we talk a little bit up front about the Rockstar relationship with Nintendo from the 90s, really, into the early 2000s. Yes, I really want to talk about that uh, because, as we know, Neil, this is the only Rockstar-published game on the GameCube. Right. And Rockstar and Nintendo, they've had quite a rocky relationship. Doing some research with this episode, there were a lot of people who kept saying, oh, no, like, there's there's uh there's no bad blood between rockstar and nintendo it's like that's just people making stuff up 
no, that's that, there is. Okay, so sorry. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just it's just facts. I'm sorry. Um, it's obviously it's not like they're divorced parents who won't talk to each other, but mm-hmm. they do have an extremely frayed relationship. You know, think of yes. it uh, akin to EA and Nintendo. You know, very similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Just because a developer releases games for Nintendo, I should say, doesn't mean that they don't have beef. Right. right. Like, right. At, at the end of the day, these these companies are just trying to make money. Right. Mm-hmm. So they will work together, but they don't have to like each other. <laughs> right. And they'll do the minimum effort possible to maintain that frayed relationship. Yeah. Like what we see with EA putting out a FIFA game every so often. Exactly. Same thing with Rockstar putting out L.A. Noir on Switch yeah. <laughs> uh, when... What? Uh, I'm sure it did fine, I guess, at the time. I remember it being a bit of a head-scratcher, yeah. but not putting a game like uh, Red Dead Redemption or Grand Theft Auto or even Bully, which we're going to talk – we can talk a little mm-hmm. bit about as well. Just one of these three games that were more beloved, especially in gamers' minds in general, L.A. Noir. I don't know if anybody was really asking for that on Switch, <laughs> and I have a feeling that that's going to be the only Rockstar game we see on Switch. So kind of where this all came from was mm-hmm. DMA Design, which was later Rockstar North. Uh, they made this game called Body Harvest for the N64. You ever heard of this, Neil? It's published by Midway, weirdly. I have heard of it, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it uh, it was a flop of a game. It did not do well critically or commercially. It did not do well commercially. I think critically actually was was praised. It did, o- it did okay. Uh, yeah. But um, the, that game created a, a huge strain between DMA and Nintendo. Uh, Nintendo, being Nintendo, wanted a lot of involvement uh, in the production of it, and they also wanted DMA to work on a bunch of different titles. DMA, mm-hmm. uh, they just wanted to work on the one game, you know, do their one game over two to three years, uh, which at the time was was nuts. But that's how Rockstar worked and has always worked. Right. Um, uh, there was also a big language barrier here, too. Uh, apparently, mm-hmm. Nintendo kind of saw Rockstar as uh, our DMA, in this case, as a little kid uh, and didn't see their games as high quality. And then eventually they also held that same view with Rockstar um, and they were just a terrible working relationship during this entire time. And uh, when uh, DMA got absorbed fully into Rockstar as Rockstar North, a lot of the, the same sentiments carried over from both Nintendo and Rockstar's side of mm-hmm. how they looked at each other. You know, Rockstar looked at Nintendo as this big schoolyard bully who wouldn't work well with them. Uh, Nintendo looked at uh, Rockstar as this, the little kid in the playground who... Uh, mm-hmm shouldn't be even making games and it should just be working with them. Rockstar working with Nintendo as a publisher didn't seem to work well. It did better when they had their original publisher, which was uh, Psygnosis. Yes. They also did a few games on NES and SNES, mm-hmm. more notably Lemmings, which was a huge franchise in the 90s. Of course. Uh, it's big Spawn franchise with uh, sequels and 20 million copies sold worldwide across all platforms. They even had a game on the SNES, which was called Uniracers uh, in 1995. That game was actually pulled from shelves very quickly after only uh, making 300,000 copies mm-hmm. uh, due to a Pixar lawsuit. Uh, it oh. uh, very much uh, was similar to one of their shorts made in 1987. Uh, who knew Pixar was making shorts <laughs> in 1987? Yeah, wow. Uh, yeah, right? Uh, so if you have a copy of Uniracers lying around in your <laughs> attic, you might have a bit of money there. Uh, but yeah, there were some other games that Rockstar technically made uh, as well on uh, N64, actually. Space Station Silicon Valley? Is that what you're thinking yeah, of? Yeah, that was the one there. Yeah, they, uh, Nintendo didn't end up publishing that one, I don't think. No, but they worked together on it. Right, so they did actually manage to squeeze out two games on N64, as well as a few Grand Theft Auto games on Game Boy, Game Boy Color, yep. uh, DS. Chinatown Wars for DS, right. yep. Yeah, so like you said, Mike, like it was a very strained relationship, and there is a huge culture barrier between Nintendo of Japan and Rockstar being a North American company. Mm-hmm. 
But we did get some random, really good games on Nintendo hardware yes. from Rockstar. So there was a bit of a thaw there in the year, mm-hmm. in the mid two thousands with uh, Bully Bully Scholarship Edition uh, and right. also the Godfather Blackhand Edition, uh, which is considered the best way to play that game. Um, mm-hmm. So they they viewed the Wii, I think, as a innovative hardware, which is uh, interesting uh, looking back. Yeah. But but in two thousand six, yeah, this this I think they kind of were like, okay, like Nintendo looks like they're gonna work with third parties more. It looks like they're more receptive to things coming to to their their system. Maybe we can mm-hmm. work with them again. Yeah, and uh, one of those games that we got was uh, Smuggler's Run Two, uh, which was uh, a sequel to a PlayStation Two launch game called Smuggler's Run in two thousand one. Uh, which was a game that never came to GameCube. So, Mike, you, you've played a little bit of this game this week. What are your thoughts on Smuggler's Run 2 in, in 2021? Uh, I, yeah, I did play a little bit of it, and it doesn't age great, uh, mm-hmm. as we're going to find out with all these games. But yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, it's definitely still very fun to play. Um, but I'm not sure if you've ever heard of the game Midnight Club, Neil. Yes, I have. So that game is basically the same game, but just in a city where uh, Smuggler's Run takes place uh, kind of in the, the desert and just, you know, outdoors, off-roading. Um, right. Midnight Club, I would say, is definitely more fun. Uh, there's more stuff to do. It, the, the Smuggler's Run felt a bit like there was not much around around the areas in the map. You know, it, you felt okay. like it was kind of empty. The whole world felt a little empty, which is mm. to be expected for a driving open world game. Right, but the controls for the driving were quite fun, you know, and and it, it I had a, I enjoyed like the hour that I played it, but I can't see myself enjoying it for more than an hour in twenty twenty one. Yeah, it, it, that's the thing we're gonna I think have to go back to a lot with these games is that going back to them if you don't have that nostalgia for them is not going to work as a first time around. Mm-hmm. Like they didn't, we didn't know how to really make these open world games yet fully on console, especially there was limitations, especially on GameCube. Uh, interesting uh, concepts, though, in this game, especially. I, I like to highlight that there was no health or time restraints in the levels. Mm-hmm. It was your your damage to your car added up to money, and you couldn't exceed a certain amount before the car basically was trashed. Yep, which was just an interesting concept at the time. There was I, I couldn't really think of anything else like that. No, it, it like it kind of feels like a, a glorified crazy taxi. <laughs> like yeah, to some, a little bit <laughs> to, to some because you have to kind of you're picking up contraband. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I I forget where this is is actually supposed to be i think maybe in uh, russia, russia georgia okay yes because yeah. i know it was supposed to originally be in afghanistan um mm-hmm. but uh, this came out uh not long after 9-11 and so right. they kind of they changed the locale so I, I didn't i didn't realize where it was actually playing <laughs> but yeah, yeah it's kind of the, the desert area it's similar to smugglers one run one which i believe is in mexico and like the border the the, the american border uh because mm-hmm. literally all you're trying to do is just smuggle smuggle contraband from uh, over the border mm-hmm an interesting idea for a story for a game on a Nintendo console. Like I can't see them doing anything like this again, <laughs> yeah. smuggling contraband over the border, just going for anything controversial at the time, I suppose. Yeah, well, it's it's you know it's a uh, is this an M rated game? I forget if this one is T. This, this one's rated okay, T. Okay, so this is one of the few ones that's actually a T, but it mm-hmm. might as well be an M. It's <laughs> yeah, it, it's pretty close to being a, uh, Nintendo is definitely. Um, a bit of a loose cannon in this sense in terms of what they were publishing but yeah mm-hmm. this definitely would not be on a nintendo console today and this is just before grand theft auto was starting to pick up in terms of its violence too right so yes. i think video game 
video game, the ACRB rating system didn't quite know probably how to rate these open world games yet since there were no, you know, beating up hookers or, you know, scoring cocaine yet. <laughs> so it was it was mainly just that system was set up mostly for fighting games, yeah. really. Yeah. It was uh, for the Mortal Kombat and everything. So I think with these open world games, they didn't quite know how to rate them yet. Yeah. So uh, interesting thing, though, about it is that it was written by Dan Hauser, who's an English video game producer. Uh, he's a writer and a voice actor, and uh, he's uh, the vice president uh, of creativity for Rockstar Games. Nice. Uh, he's, uh, he's the head writer for several Rockstar games, um, more notably Bully, Red Dead Redemption in 2010, and Max Payne 3. Huh. Yeah, and he's written and co-written almost uh, every title in the Grand Theft Auto series. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's, I mean, I'm glad to see that he stuck around, uh, mm-hmm. you know, from humble beginnings uh, to all the way to now, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. It's an early Rockstar game and you can definitely see where they were starting to get their influence for Grand Theft Auto, the open world Grand Theft Auto games as we know now. Yeah. No, it's 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 definitely like, it, it obviously reminds me of like the driving in Grand Theft Auto mixed with Midnight Club in terms of the mm-hmm. missions. And yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really fun game. Um, I would definitely recommend uh, for I didn't realize it was only 20 bucks. I would recommend buying this game for if it's just 20 bucks if you can find it. Oh, Cuz I feel like okay. this is a game that will go up in value. A Rockstar game on on a Nintendo system is always an interesting um right. interesting thing that I think Bully a couple of years ago was only going for about 20 or 30 dollars and now Bully goes for a lot of money. Um, yeah. so I can see a similar thing happening with this one. Bully's a bit more of a cult classic now, though. I don't know yes, if Smuggler's Run... Yes, because it's actually run... like a full game. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if Smuggler's Run has quite the same uh, gravity to it. Sure. But maybe, yeah, it could go up in price for sure. Every GameCube game seems to be going up steadily mm-hmm. year over year. So, Mike, should I read the back of the case uh, before we move on to the next game? I think so. All right. It's time to read what's on the back of the case. There's things written on the back of the case. Let's read them. And now we're reading the back of the case the ultimate off-road driving adventure for the nintendo gamecube with five massive international levels a whole arsenal of countermeasures and split-screen multiplayer action for up to four people working for an elite band of smugglers has never been more exciting or more dangerous yeah i forgot there's multiplayer in this game too Mm -hmm. which honestly looks really fun I like to I like to point a counter argument that working for a real smuggler would be far more dangerous than playing a video game. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Neil. It's uh, it, you never know what can happen. Your contr- controller can break. Mm-hmm. You no. Know, yeah, uh, <laughs> you could you could get uh, your your eyes. You could go blind from the television. Yeah. See, these are these are real things. All right, Mike. I think it's time that now we moved on to the true crime series. What do you think? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so let's start with True Crimes Streets of L.A., which was released on November 3rd, 2003, developed by LuxoFlux, published by Activision. It's also on PlayStation 2, Xbox and Windows, mobile, and Mac OS. Picking it up today would cost you about $15, and this game rates about a 7 out of 10. Uh, Yeah, so True Crime L.A., first entry in the True Crime series. Uh, It's a really interesting game, and also just the whole backstory to making it is also quite interesting but it's basically activision's take on gta mm-hmm. um it's it's definitely trying to specifically not make it as wacky and 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 fun as a gta i guess but more mm-hmm. looking at like the real realism aspects and making it making the story much more interesting i, I guess because the gta stories were usually kind of far-fetched 
Yes, we could have easily have put this series into the clones episode that we did earlier on yeah. as a GTA clone. But like you said earlier, you wanted to play this game. Yep. So I've always because, wanted to play this for, for yeah. years. I've always seen this on shelves. And I remember years and years ago, I think it was because I was playing Sleeping Dogs, actually, which okay. we will get into uh, soon. But um, I remember really getting into open world games because of that. And mm-hmm. uh, I had played GTA games, but I think there's something about Sleeping Dogs that I really, really liked. And I kind of looked into other uh, games that were either developed by similar people or had similar feels and true crime always came up. Um, Mm -hmm. And forever, I never knew which was the really good true crime game, if it was L.A. or New York. We now know it's L.A. (laughs) (laughs) That is the one to pick up between the two. Yes. Yeah. But uh, so I've I've actually never picked this game up myself. But now that I've played it and uh, seen all the the reviews and everything, I, I now know that this is the game that I will be picking up in stores. And glad to see it's only $15 now. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, it's a very affordable open world game, and this one definitely does improve over the Smuggler's Run open world game. I think that, as in terms of quality and how open world games are in 2020, it, it it's definitely the most similar in terms of just you know what, what where you can go, just the, the freedom of choice on mm-hmm. what you do, uh, multiple endings based on your choices. You can go between a good cop and a bad cop in the world. I so love that it, mechanic. Do you want to talk mm-hmm. about that for a second? Sure. So with the missions that uh, go on throughout the game, you have your choice of doing good or doing bad in the world. And and that's the more choices that you make based on good or bad uh, influences how the world around you reacts to you. The way I like to think of this is uh, in uh, Infamous, which is the superhero game on PS3. Uh, based on your choices and your actions, you become either a, a hero or a villain, yeah. which very neat. A uh, bit of an open world game as well, I suppose. Uh, but yeah, really interesting game mechanic, I suppose, if you want to call it that. Yeah, because I, I so obviously in the GTA games you have your um, your heat meter that comes up, mm-hmm. you know, whenever you do crimes, and then uh, police will you know come after you, uh, and that's how the world reacts. But in the true crime series, you have that good and evil uh, kind of version of it. So that yeah, the good good cop, bad cop. And the world reacts that way instead of you constantly having heat for doing anything, which is something I always found really interesting. And I don't know it gives it another layer of like, uh, yeah, kind of figuring out what to because like in GTA you do something, you kill someone basically, right. and then you run away from the cops, you go to your safe house, and that's it, and you do it all over again. Mm-hmm. Um, where in true crime, it's like that that you killing an innocent person actually affects the rest of the game and can affect the ending. Yeah, it's not like you can just run away and hide and let everything boil over and then go back out again. Mm-hmm. There's really a lot of weight towards your decisions, which is very interesting. It's a very big game too. It's uh like 300 what 300 square miles of LA, which is huge. At the time it was the biggest uh, open world game and I think it was mm-hmm. the biggest for a long time as well after that. I can see that for sure and I can also see just looking at that it was uh published by Activision. I was looking at gameplay earlier and I was like, man, this looks a lot like Spider-Man. <laughs> it does. Yeah, I, it definitely it definitely makes you feel like Spider-Man when you play it. <laughs> Spider-Man 2, of course. But yes, uh, I have obviously quite a few notes after playing it. This is the game that I played for the most this week because I w- enjoyed it the most for sure. Um, okay. Controls, really simple, easy to learn. Um, and the dual wielding is pretty hilarious. You can dual wield weapons, even weapons that you you shouldn't be able to dual wield, like two oh, shotguns. Neat. That's a that's a really cool thing in video games is when you can hold two weapons. That's like a topic in itself. I remember the first time being able to do that in, uh, I think it was Goldeneye on N sixty four. Yeah, just having the option to hold two AK forty sevens. I was like, <laughs> oh my god! It's such a fun thing that not enough 
games put in, I think. But it's fun. Yeah. It's just really fun. Yeah. The writing is not... Okay, so first, the story is really, really good in here. You are a cop, so you're kind of on the other side of things from GTA, but you're an undercover cop, so you're investigating. I think it's your dad was murdered or something. I forget the whole yep. story, but um, uh, there's some great voice acting in it, uh, including Gary Oldman. Uh, right. who plays uh, two characters, Academy Award-winning Gary Oldman. Um, and there's also Christopher Walken, who's the narrator, slash the your, the guy who's, like, helping you train and, and everything. Yep. Um, Ron but, Perlman is also in it, yes. Michelle Rodriguez, and Michael Madsen. Yeah, so no, a, amazing cast. They clearly wanted to make this closer to, like, a movie than, than, than a game, which is really ahead of its time, if you think about it, uh, considering, you know, things like cyberpunk, you know, try and get Keanu Reeves' likeness. Um, yeah. it's, yeah, I thought this was, that was the one thing that really stood out to me as being ahead of its time. Yeah. Almost a film worthy cast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the rating itself is not great. The dialogue is aged poorly. You know, mm-hmm. um, there's some, some bad writing examples. Like you'll see like dynasty imports with an emphasis on the nasty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Oh God. Oh geez. Okay. Um, but, uh, I'd say the actual missions themselves were really streamlined. Uh, I, I was really surprised at how fast everything was, you know, the missions only take maybe a couple minutes. Uh, there's not a whole lot of uh, wasted side mission time. Uh, you can finish this game in probably about six hours, uh, despite it being an absolutely massive map. Um, obviously you can do a lot. You have room to explore and do whatever you want, but the game itself, it can be quite quick. The story itself, yeah. And yes. Usually, when you hear about open world games, you, I, I usually uh, figure that that means the campaign is going to be fifty hours. Yeah. Sometimes, especially when you're thinking of a game like Red Dead Redemption Two, and then if you want to play the extras and explore, unlimited, right? <laughs> so a, a six-hour campaign is very short. Now they, of course, have a great soundtrack as these uh, as these um, games do. Neil, do you want to talk about the soundtrack? I'm sure you looked it up. Uh, yeah, a little bit. I, I just know that when the game was first announced, they they uh, had in it that there would be 50 tracks from hip-hop artists around the East Coast. The game, unfortunately, launched with only 20, mm. uh, but but it was nominated for Best Soundtrack from a Video Game at uh, the MTV 2004 Video Awards, mm-hmm. losing to Tony Hawk Underground. Oh, well, you know what? That's I, I, I agree with that. <laughs> Yeah, it should no, come second place, the Tony Hawk. For sure. So the actual soundtrack from the game uh, features artists such as uh, Snoop Dogg, West Side Connection, Sugar Free, Warren G, featuring RBX. Uh, the list goes on. There's so many uh, artists here. I'm not as familiar with the uh, East Coast hip-hop scene. Mike, I don't know if this is a little bit more of your wheelhouse or not, but um, none of these artists really mean much to me compared to the Tony Hawk No, they're, they're West Coast. West Coast, Neil. West Coast, sorry. We, uh, West Coast scene. Because uh, we're on L.A., so we got Snoop Dogg from, from L.A. Right. and Anaheim. So sorry. big Anaheim yeah. Duck fan, uh, fan Snoop Dogg. A <laughs> couple other things, too, that I just wanted to mention. Uh, the HUD is really nice, very clean. I really like how they... Uh, uh, how they did it and didn't make it look like a rock star HUD, you know, just like a nice. complete ripoff, uh, which they could have mm. easily fallen into. Um, sure. And a big thing to really praise them for is uh, for Rockstar and GTA, you know, they didn't have to have to actually make their cities realistic. You know, they're San Andreas, Vice City. These aren't real places, obviously taking inspiration from real places, but right. uh, they could really be free to create whatever they wanted in terms of buildings. Uh, and in terms of scenery, for uh, the true crime series, they actually had to make this look like L.A., which is a huge feat. Yeah, and they used that, – that that is a pretty big selling point in games now, yes. even today, where the developers say, you know, we went to San Francisco, L.A., New York, and we took GPS satellite images of the streets to mm-hmm. make sure it was an accurate represent, re, 
uh, recreation of the city streets that you're going to be playing this game in. So it, it is just one of those labels you can stick on the back of the box, I think, if, if you can do that. So that's why they put so much effort into it. E- even now, like I remember with, uh, what was it, Watch Dogs? Uh, that game was supposed to be a pretty close representation of what San Francisco is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, what was it The Division, I think, is also supposed to be an actual cut of uh, somewhere in New York. So I'd say Spider the new Spider Man does New York great. Like that was so much mm-hmm. fun. To, that was one of my favorite parts about playing that game was just going to the rock every time and, and jumping off. <laughs> yes, yeah, no, that was a ton of fun. Uh but uh with with uh True Crime LA there was one issue with the development. Unfortunately, they they did uh receive uh, an attempted lawsuit uh on late October two thousand three, uh two weeks prior to the game's uh, scheduled release. Uh Novelist Robert Craze claimed that the game's protagonist, Nicholas Kang, was a direct copy of the protagonist uh, of many of his novels, uh, Elvis Cole. Hmm. Uh, so he filed a lawsuit against True Crime, which uh, for the, basically the protagonists being too similar. Um, the hmm. lawsuit failed to prevent the scheduled release of the game, and on November 6, uh, Craze dropped the complaint entirely. Uh, after reviewing the development materials of the game, uh, he decided that uh, the game was dissimilar enough and that it was paying a homage to his work, but not blatantly ripping it off. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It happens from time to time. It's, uh, it's okay, because there's going to be more controversy in the next game. Yes. So let's <laughs> uh, let's read the back of the case for True Crime LA and then move on to True Crime New York. Let's do it. Hell has been unleashed on the City of Angels by merciless gangs. The only hope to restore order is an out-of-control ex-cop whose unconventional methods leave him rejected by the police and feared by criminals. Drive, fight, and shoot your way through 240 square miles, I was wrong, of L.A. and a branching storyline where you never have to repeat the same mission twice. Includes original songs from Snoop Dogg, West Side Connection, Coolio, and more. That's right, Coolio is in this. (laughs) Yeah, who could forget Coolio? But there was a sequel to True Crime LA, which was called True Crime New York City, released on November 15th, 2005, developed by Luxoflux and published by Activision again. It's also on PlayStation 2, Xbox, and Windows. Uh, it's around $20 if you wanted to pick it up today. This game rated a little bit worse, around the 6s out of 10. Yeah, this game is... It's still a good game, but there's clearly... It's a markedly clearly... A, uh, not as polished, I guess, is mm-hmm. the best word to, to put for that. And also, it 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 has aged actually much worse <laughs> than uh, than uh, than LA, which is which is weird to think of. But yeah, it just it seems like they went too hard on like the full urban feel for everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. And it's um, and every everyone's such a stereotype in it, ah, okay. uh, which is LA had that as well, but New York ha- feels like you have it even more so. Yeah, it's hard to tell really what happened here because with uh, True Crimes LA, the first two weeks, the game sold like gangbusters. It came out with 300,000 copies sold. Ultimately, the game went on to sell three three million copies worldwide yeah. across all platforms. Uh, True Crime New York did not nearly have did not nearly have the same success. Uh, sold only 72,000 copies in the first two weeks. Uh, so I'm not sure what the total numbers were, but it sold about one quarter of its uh, predecessor, which is not good. No, and it's strange and... Well, I think we I have a few theories, but I think the the biggest one here is the fact that you had GTA releasing San Andreas, which I believe mm-hmm. came out the same year or the year before. Sounds right. You might have yeah. to fact check that. But uh, it was around the same time and it was definitely before this game. Uh, and that really hurt this game having San Andreas, uh, which mm-hmm. was a far superior game in every way. Um, yeah. And the New York game. 
while again has a lot of great actors in it. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne um, mm-hmm. is in the game, and uh, as well as Mickey Rourke, uh, who's uh, plays the protagonist Godfather. <laughs> Interesting, <laughs> which is kind of cool. Yeah. So again, cool. they they really want to push the story elements of this uh, of the game and and make it a bit different to GTA. But at the end of the day, it just it feels more of a direct reaction from Activision mm-hmm. rather than them trying to make their own game, and, and it definitely shows. Yeah, GTA San Andreas came out a year before. It was actually 2004. There we go. Yeah. It just it seems like they rushed it even too because the first game was was huge by all counts, 240 square miles. Yeah. This game was only 25 square miles. Yeah. I I think it was a little bit more dense being in Manhattan, uh, less space in between everything that's going on. Soundtrack, which was uh, along with it, also a little bit different, uh, obviously now being this one was East Coast. So we had uh, Jay-Z, Fat Joe, A Tribe Called Quest, The Ramones, The Velvet Underground, My Chemical Romance, The Bravery, and Bob Dylan. Oh, The Bravery is my favorite hip-hop artist. Nice. Really? (laughs) No, sorry. My Chemical Romance is. I was going to say, My Chemical Romance is the obvious choice. I feel kind of bad for Activision just with this game in particular because, I mean, it's hard to feel bad for Activision, but they had a really good lineup set up for 2005, this quarter at least. It was, they had Tony Hawk, Call of Duty, X-Men, True Crime, Quake, and a Shrek game, like all all in the same quarter, uh, which kind of covers a lot of bases. Yeah, but um, yeah, for whatever reason, this didn't sell as well uh, and critically was was. Not pan necessarily, but definitely mixed reviews. And again, I think this is all due to um, uh, to San Andreas. I think San Andreas mm-hmm. is the focal point here because it probably made them push their release date up. Yeah. Um, it you know obviously then because of San Andreas coming out so soon uh, before it, it created a easy comparable. You know when someone goes mm-hmm. out buys it, they most likely will have San Andreas as well. Uh, yeah. You know I'd say. The amount of people who had only played true crime would be very slim. Yeah. Uh, but um, it felt very overly violent with no purpose. Mm. Uh, the LA game felt very streamlined. Again, it felt like every time you did, uh, did an action, there was a reaction. Uh, okay. In the New York one, it felt much less less of that. It felt that the story was really pushing you to be violent and overly violent. Um, and the dialogue in the game really felt too close to jackass style humor. Oh, okay. Uh, in like 2005, that's uh, you know, I guess that's kind of where you are, but it's it's pushing it for sure. Yeah, and it's hard it's hard to think about it, but in, in 2005, you have to think that a lot of development from Activision's teams were probably starting to switch over to the newer gen consoles being PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360. Even in 2004, like when they were probably putting the finishing touches on that, uh, the the launch for those systems was two years away. So development would have had to have been turning over at that point for the new consoles. So that that plays a factor as well. It was, yeah, criticized for being very unpolished. Uh, I saw a lot of the frame rate drops and uh, characters falling through the map, uh, which is just a bad look for any video game. And they can't patch it either, which is a shame uh, this time. And, And just to note as well, this was supposed to be part one of two of the new york series for true crime and i imagine they decided to do this because of timelines and uh, developer crunch and they probably said look we can only make uh, this story into you know half a game let's put out part one Mm -hmm. and then part two later obviously there was no part two because of the critical failure and commercial failure of uh, true crime compared to its predecessor Um, but what's the most interesting thing here neil is that true crime technically did live on it did, yeah. I uh, I have the facts here. Did you want to tell the story, or do you want me to uh, start it off? Uh, you can you can go. Yeah, I'm just yeah, really okay. excited. No, that's right, Mike. True Crime did live on. It was uh, there was a sequel. It wasn't called True Crime. They'd really dropped the True Crime 
true crime trademark pretty soon after New York. Uh, so the true crime series was put on hold uh, after 2005 uh, for obvious reasons. The game was a flop, and uh, they were going to try and make a sequel, True Crime New York. Uh, in 2007, they hired United Front Games to develop an open-world game set in Hong Kong. By 2009, the game had become True Crime Hong Kong, uh, and in 2011, that game was canceled. Uh, the publishing rights were later on picked up by Square Enix several mm -hmm. months later, and uh, True Crime Hong Kong was ultimately released as Sleeping Dogs. Yeah, the next year in 2012. Mm -hmm. And it, it's it's this is really a shame, and this is something that really... Uh, uh, grinds my gears uh, uh, is is when because this happens all the time is when a publisher you know sees something that they they don't love or have some political things going on with um with the developer because uh, mm -hmm. clearly United Front and Activision were not getting along uh, right. and uh, United United Front shows this basically complete game and Activision says oh no it's not to our level of standard or whatever it's like dude you mm -hmm. just put out true crime new york like like <laughs> 6 years ago that was such a flop like why wouldn't you take a chance on on this game that clearly was done mm -hmm. uh and so square enix you know they picked it up and they were like wow this is a done game okay let's put it out like very mm -hmm. very strange um and uh, I was reading a lot about this, uh, just kind of going going into a bit of a rabbit hole because there mm -hmm. are a lot of publishers or a lot of developers from the United Front team that really were had scathing reviews of Activision and were really upset when they dropped the game in 2011. I always hate that argument of it's like you know the game was not quite up to our standards. Like yeah, but you put out X. Exactly. You know, like, there's there's always another reason when they say that, right? There's yeah, of always, course. You, you it, don't like someone in the company or something. There, there hasn't been a single publisher. I can't think of any that hasn't put out a dud at some point. It's like yeah, but that went out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like or oh, I can't I think of. I'm trying to think of one right now. Just with you know Nintendo, even Nintendo saying you know the game is not yet up to our standards. It's like yeah, but you know you put out animal crossing on wii u that weird board game, game. <laughs> so you know um some things get through the radar clearly there was also a pretty big uh, controversy with the uh, true crime new york mike did uh did you hear about the nypd controversy there i i did i did yeah that's uh, uh i mean it, it's to be expected i guess mm -hmm. when you put out a game like this that is overly yeah. violent uh, mm -hmm. And implicating the NYPD in it, uh, they I think they actually ch did change the acronym though. It was um, they did. It was PDNY. PDNY, yes. But I mean, you know what they mean. <laughs> so what we're talking about is uh, in September of 2005, uh, Raymond Kelly, who is the New York City Police Commissioner, and Patrick Lynch, who's the president of the Patrolmen's Benevolent Association of the City of New York, called for a boycott of the game, citing its depiction of law-breaking police officers as damaging and offensive. According to a New York Daily News, uh, Kelly stated, It's an outrage. I think it disrespects all police officers. It's a tough job, a dangerous job, and it undermines what police officers try to do. I'm saddened that some former members of the department are linked to that video game. Because that was uh, Clark, uh, Bill Clark, who who was a right. former NYPD detective who, who was like an advisor, I guess, on the game. Mm -hmm. And um, and he kind of responded by saying, like, stop worrying about video games and spend more time getting cops more than a $25,000 starting salary. So Yeah, that's a, that's a direct quote. <laughs> <laughs> You're always going to have a lot of controversy with games like this, and mm -hmm. you will forever as long as as long as police are implicated especially um right but yeah i i think it's, i think it just was made worse because the game was critically panned that doesn't help either that that's one of the things that i was wondering was why are they i can see why they'd be upset about the game if it was a success but it it was a pretty bad big flop um oh i think it's kind of you know you just keep putting fire on it you know when when so mm -hmm. you know one reviewer 
points something out and then the next one says it and then you, just a snowball effect, right? You didn't suppose, have that as yeah. much with LA because it was critically acclaimed. People liked it. They thought the story was good. They thought they did a pretty good job um, yeah. showcasing, you know, the good and bad sides of, of police work. Uh, mm-hmm. And so it didn't, you know, it flew it flew under the radar a bit, I think, in terms of, uh, of getting criticized. But obviously, yeah. New York, uh, true crime New York um, didn't pan out. But I'm really happy Sleeping Dogs exists. Yeah, you were a huge fan of Sleeping Dogs. I remember you and Zaffer loved that game, I right? I love that game. I think it's yeah. amazing. I think it's better than GTA. Uh, wow. I... I, I it's so good. And it, again, the story is really compelling, really well done. There's great voice actors in it. Uh, they, you know, you can clearly see that this was true crime Hong Kong, you know? Right. And, and it's funny, like now looking back at that, it's like, oh, wow, like that, that does make it sense. It was. Yeah, yeah. It's supposed to be. So they did complete their trilogy in some way, just not how they initially planned. Exactly. All right, Mike, shall we read the back of the case of true crime New York and move on? Let's do it. All right. True conflict, true power, true New York. Run New York City as gangster-turned-street-cop Marcus Reed. Use or abuse your authority to avenge the murder of your trusted mentor and take control of the streets. Arrest, interrogate, use informants, extort, frisk, and more as you dispense justice your way. Your way. Your move, Yugi boy. (laughs) (laughs) All right, cool. Let's move on to the next game on our list here, which is 13, also known as Roman numerals XIII, Mm -hmm. was released on November 24th, 2003. Developed by South End Interactive on Xbox and Ubisoft Paris on all other platforms. It's published by Ubisoft. It's also on Xbox, uh, PlayStation 2, Microsoft Windows, and Apple OS. Today, you'd be looking at about $40 to pick it up, and it rates at an 8 out of 10. Yeah, so this is a really, really good game. Uh, mm. And we're going to go into the remake of it that came out. Uh, which was not Switch. a great game yes and we're gonna we'll, we'll do a whole thing with that but sure. first let's talk about the actual game itself i did play yeah. it uh and yeah it was really fun it gave me a lot of time splitters vibes cool uh okay. i i really like the art style it looks amazing and it is it definitely holds up uh it is cell shaded so it's got mm-hmm. that comic book feel and 13 itself is a comic book it's a graphic novel from belgium mm-hmm. which i didn't know and uh it's really really big there actually um, I don't know what it is with Belgium and making uh, 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 comic books. You got Tintin uh, yeah. <laughs> as well. A lot of good stuff coming out of there. Yeah, <laughs> But yeah, it's it's really interesting. Uh, uh, really cool plot. Lots of twists and turns. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, it's kind of like the plot style is a bit of a mainstream candidate style. So it's kind of like a... This, you know, agent wakes up on a beach right. and his only link to the past or a tattoo of the Roman numerals X111, 13, right. uh, and a photo of himself with a woman. Yeah. Um, and uh, then there's the other kind of char- character who's uh, the mongoose who's kind of mm-hmm. uh, hunting you down, working for this underground organization called XX20. Mm-hmm. Who's trying to overthrow the government? The game is based on the first five volumes of the graphic novel series, which yep. is such a shame that it ends with spoilers for the end. It ends with a to be continued at the yeah. end, and then, it never, and then it's never continued, which is just a such a shame. I, th- I have a feeling that that's what that uh, remake was for last year was to test and see is now a good time for the sequel, uh, and then obviously the game did not do well, no. and we're probably never going to see the sequel. But it is a shame that we never got to see. I think that this could have been a really fun franchise for Ubisoft to jump in on. It is a beautiful game with the cel-shaded graphics, almost like a Borderlands style of FPS with cel-shading. Uh, never seems to age no. uh, poor, poorly. 
from what we've seen so far on this podcast. And yeah, you awaken on a beach with no memories, which makes me just think that this game is a JRPG because <laughs> every JRPG has your memories wiped for some reason. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's just an easy way to write a story, I guess, if, if the memory, if there's no memory of mm-hmm. whatever the events are. But the game was praised for being very faithful to the source material, yep. which is difficult to do when you're basing a game on a comic book series. Uh, I, I can't think of too many others that have done it well, personally. Even superhero games are usually very off from whatever the comic books are agreed yeah no usually they they don't quite get it right so mm-hmm. this is um i think probably one of the the things that people will say credit like to criticize it is that it is a bit short yeah but it does it it definitely does the comic book justice and what's really cool and this is kind of before ultimate spider-man where they they show the like bam pow you know like the big right. letters whenever you mm-hmm. shoot someone um when someone falls off that's like far away from you uh, you see their pain. There's like a pain comes down on the side of the screen that shows them falling. Oh, cool. Uh, it's very, very innovative and different. And uh, yeah, it's I, I would love to play, like, play more of this. Uh, the cutscenes itself are in the graphics and the cutscenes are yeah, they're, not great. They're 2000s. <laughs> they're 2000s cutscenes. Yeah. yeah. But um, but again, they do them like comic book pains. You really do feel like you're you're playing inside a comic book. Uh, especially with all the different pains that will just pop up and the the you know when it, when you like slam on the brakes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard uh, one of the other uh, problems with the game is that the enemy AI is a little bit primary. Like the yes. enemies will know when to shoot you, but in terms of sneaking around them and whatnot, they're they're pretty basic. Uh, I found great. it very easy for sure. Yeah, yeah, the AI is not quite there yet. But again, this is an early Ubisoft game and their AI eventually gets a lot better with Assassin's Creed games. Mm-hmm. So they kind of had to make these types of games early on to really figure out what to do. The cast is very, uh, very high caliber. You have David Duchovny from X-Files uh, as the oh, main protagonist. Oh my God, protagonist. that's right. That is yeah. him. Yeah. I, you know what? When I was playing it, I, I was trying to think of who that voice was and I never mm. looked it up because yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> but damn. David David Duchovny, yeah. Mm. And then Adam West as uh, General Carrington. <laughs> yes, that one I, I got right away. <laughs> Unmistakable Adam West. And then there's a singer by the name of Eve who voices Jones. Yes. So, it's a good little cast that they have going on for the uh, the campaign, and then the multiplayer, Mike, like you said, is a lot like uh, Time Splitters Two. Yeah. Uh, the, the multiplayer is not as good as Time Splitters Two, but it does have quite a, a wide variety of modes to play as. There's a deathmatch, team deathmatch, capture the flag, sabotage, and the hunt. Lots of characters to pick from and stages, so lots of replay value with the with the game. I so I've seen this game on shelves for years. Uh, I always see it at mm-hmm. our local game store. Yeah. And uh, I. I think what intrigued me at first was just the name, just seeing the Roman numerals of 13. I was like, ooh, like that's that's all you need, just that. And it's always up at the front of the, the shelf of games is alphabetized. Yes. And it's always first, even though it, starts with X, it's yeah. technically a one. Yeah. Which is funny. No, I yeah. I, 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 I really recommend picking this one up. It's 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 really cool. Mm-hmm. But Mike, would you recommend picking up the remake of 13? Oh, that I would not, Neil. And let's just talk about for a second about remakes sure. in general. You know, this okay. is going to be, we're not going to dive for hours in this, but there's something to be said about remaking a game and wanting remakes of, of, of games because we've talked about this a lot on the podcast of certain games we would love to see remade or just even re-released. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, be careful what you wish for, I think is is the, the, the motto here. Yeah. Um, because the 13 remake, which is something that is honestly a little puzzling that this thing got remade it's, I know. It, it, yeah. <laughs> at, at all. Um, mm-hmm. 
and when I heard about it, I was like, okay, that's interesting. <laughs> but, and I, you know, my expectations were tempered. And then seeing gameplay of it and seeing what they did to it is just a travesty. They took out the cell shading, yeah. they changed right. the graphics, they changed the narrative. Uh, they just, the, the, there's so many graphical issues. It didn't play mm -hmm. well. Uh, the controls were bad. The mm -hmm. audio issues apparently were something that was really bad. Uh, there was a weapon limit. You couldn't really, yeah, I think you could only carry one or two weapons at a time. What? Yeah. It was just like everything that was great about the game, they took away. Uh, and clearly it was rushed. They, they blamed COVID uh, on, um, sure. on it being rushed. But you know what? I, I think this game was going to come out badly either way sounds like it one of the fun things that i like about the 13 remake is that it actually increased the sales of the original game and <laughs> Good. the 2003 version of the game outsold the remake in the first week of the remake's <laughs> release in the uk that's such a f you good job ben zamboni <laughs> that's such an f you to the uh the publisher there to yeah. ubisoft i guess who, who i love made that the remake wow i love that that's like if a band puts out a new cd and their like <laughs> earliest cd outsells it in the first week <laughs> yeah, and this is really sad because when when a botched remake comes out, that basically mm -hmm. destroys uh, the any chance of of this game being done again. Really, like yeah. I don't ever see this uh, this happening. Well, like I said up front, is that the the game ends with to be continued, and yeah. I really think that that remake was a test to see if now's the time to put out that sequel. And it's a horrible test. It's a horrible test. And, you know, now there's no way anyone's going to touch this with a 10-foot pole over the next 15 no. years. And no. no way we're getting that to be continued sequel. No. Um, which is so sad. And uh, as to quote Semi-Pro, uh, sometimes dreams <laughs> turn to nightmares, Lou. What's your problem? <laughs> <laughs> but it is another M-rated game. We didn't actually say the True Crime series were both M-rated games. So this is one of those M-rated games on the Switch. Er, on the Switch. On the GameCube, which being a cartoony game is a strange strange choice of rating like i think if a parent saw this on a game shelf they think okay it's a comic book oh it's how bad could it be it's m-rated for sure there's a lot yeah. of blood there's a lot the the this the story themes are very dark and m-rated mm. um for sure and uh it's it's definitely like you know definitely pushed for an older genre it's very political uh and there's the dialogue itself is also f-rated for sure Okay. So yeah, it's uh, it's definitely an M-rated game. But yeah, if if you if when I saw it on on the shelves over the years, I always thought it was just like a standard like teen maybe shooter. Yeah. A little bit more of the comic book style, like uh, Watchmen, I guess, where it's a bit more of a mature subject matter. Yeah, I think for thirteen, just one last point I have. Um, for thirteen, I really uh, think that the best way to go about this, or what the best way would have been to go about this, would be to release it like a Thug Pro in terms of how fans have kind of created their own thing with Thug Pro and okay. haven't relied on Activision or Neversoft or anything, anyone to help them. I mm. think that's what 13 probably would have been best with. And I'm sure that fans have created their own skins and stuff and up oh. versions of 13. Probably. I think it's just, no, I think it's just a very strange choice for a game to remake yeah. in 2020, you know, 15 years later. Seems a little too late for oh, me. Oh, by the way, one more thing. There is a okay. TV movie based on the books that is a Canadian production, all filmed and produced in Canada, starring Val Kilmer as the mongoose. So no way. Check it out. Oh, <laughs> it boy. looks terrible. Oh, oh God. <laughs> what, where, where can you find it? I don't know. <laughs> Nowhere. Oh. Probably. On YouTube? Uh, at your local library's DVD section. <laughs> oh, okay. Thank God. It's in every blockbuster you can find. <laughs> all right, Mike, let's read the back of the case and move on. Let's do it. 
All right. Confront your shadowy past and America's darkest corridors of power. Trust no one, not even yourself, in this stylish conspiracy thriller mixing fast action gunplay with cutthroat infiltration. A presidential assassination conspiracy plot enshrouds the future of America in mystery. Four-player split-screen multiplayer modes, including Deathmatch, Team Deathmatch, and Capture the Flag. Graphic novel presentation with pop-up windows, visual audio, and flashback graphics. Wield 15 weapons from a crossbow to a sniper rifle, plus objects such as chairs and bottles. Stylish conspiracy thriller. Uh, That's like the perfect way to describe this game. Not enough of those around. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. I love that. That's cool. Good back of the case for sure. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, Mike, let's move on to our next game on the list here is Spartan Total Warrior. was released on October 27, 2005. Developed by Creative Assembly. Published by Sega. It's also on PlayStation 2 and Xbox. Rates about a 7 out of 10. Neil, if you've had a bad day at work, this is a good game to play. Because oh, okay. you kill just tons of people Nice <laughs> in this hack and slash I was uh, getting game. God of War vibes from this. Game. Yeah, yeah, it's got a bit of God of War vibes uh, for sure, a bit of Dynasty Warrior vibe as well, and a bit of that like because it's kind of that top-down Diablo, not top-down that like it's a hack and slash. It's yeah, a, it's I'm, a 3D I'm, hack and slash. I know what you call that though, like when you're like you have that like uh, camera angle that's not not top-down but like to the side. Yeah, yeah, the 2.5D, 2.5D kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. God of War is what I consider yes, okay, it. Being. Yeah, I guess God of War. Yeah, you're right. Oh, and I didn't say it's about fifty dollars today on GameCube. If yes, you were this is a bit of a pricier one be, for sure. It, it is, yes. Um, it's It's got to be M-rated, right, Neil? Because this is – there's no way this is not M-rated. Yeah, M-rated for sure. <laughs> this is by far the goriest game I've seen on GameCube. And this is not an open-world game, right? This is more of just the M-rated? This is the un-M-rated, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. and a game you want to play. It's a spinoff in the Total Total War series, mm-hmm. uh, which is a series of strategy games developed by the British developer Creative Assembly, mostly on PC. Uh, there's 21 installments in the franchise, including the spinoffs. Uh, they also have the Warhammer license. So if you ever see Warhammer games, odds are it's based on this uh, this franchise. Across the all platforms and uh, copies, it's uh, sold 22 million uh, copies of the game. Yeah. Not just Spartan Total Warrior, but Total War in general. And the first game was Shotgun Total War in 2000. And the latest game is Total War Troy, which was released uh, just last year. Oh yeah, Total War is huge. Yeah, huge, I didn't, huge I franchise. Did not know that. Yeah, I I know I know one person at least who is really into Total War. Uh, and there's also Rome Total War, which is in my 1001 video games you must play before you die. Ah, um, okay. I won't read it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> We're not but, talking about Rome Total War Exactly. Today. But basically what they talk about a lot in it and for all the Total War games is how historically accurate they are. That's what they've always received a lot of praise for. And um, they've done a great job of uh, making them historically accurate while also making the gameplay really fun and graphically uh, pleasing. So I guess when Sega did this uh, and uh, they really wanted to bring this, you know, bring this world to consoles. Now, the Mm -hmm. team felt this was going to be quite tricky because Total War games, you have like 100 people on screen at once. There's thousands, thousands, really. Yeah. Yeah. There's tons of stuff going on. They also Mm -hmm. have to make it historically accurate. They also have to make it detailed, make the graphics not look like crap. So I think the team for Spartan Total Warrior really did a good job on this because this is really hard to pull off. Uh, The only thing that they didn't do is make it historically accurate. It is just a complete mess when it comes to, like, uh, history. One more uh, reason why it reminds me of God of War. It pulls from Greek and Roman mythology for the most part. There's also a flamethrower in it. (laughs) (laughs) 
which we didn't hundreds see until of, hundreds like, of years before they, yeah, exactly. they were invented, <laughs> if not thousands. Uh, but yeah, no, it was a huge uh, issue with the developers. They had to figure out how to put this Total War series, which has thousands of enemies on screen, onto a console. So they figured, you know, Hack and Slash is probably a good way to go, which mm-hmm. I, I agree with. I was actually a really big fan of Hack and Slash games when I was first getting into video games mm-hmm. because they're very easy to understand. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that it's a great video game genre to really show to maybe not young kids, but as your kids are growing up, uh, like a game like God of War, it's very easy to, to understand. You mash triangle or square, in this case, A or B, and you know you feel very powerful in the game, which is empowering uh, for, yeah. for, for gamers. And I think that this game looks very good. One of the criticisms that I saw for the game, which I have a little bit of beef with, is it was criticized for being a glorified button masher. But which, if you're playing a hack and slash game... Exactly. You should know that hack and slashes are glorified button masters. You know, yes. that's that's kind of what it is. That's the point. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like for me, like, I, I read that and I was thinking like, well, yeah, that's what the game is. That's almost like calling the PlayStation 5 a glorified video game console. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it just seems like calling a game a glorified whatever it is. It's just a poor criticism. If it's just meant to be a button masher. Okay. Does it look good? Is the story okay? Is the combat fun? Which this game does all those things. So yeah. Uh, giving it you know a solid seven i think is fine but if it's a glorified button masher i would say it should be higher up because it's a beat-em-up hack and slash game where you're pressing a lot of buttons at once and it's doing it very well yeah so i mean seven is a pretty decent rating for it i'd say seven like maybe like low sevens or so high sevens low eights is kind of where mm-hmm. this this game would fall for me um because it 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 does I mean, probably as a kid, I wouldn't care, but it does take you out a bit when you start seeing flamethrowers and, like, magic being used by these Romans, and it it gets a little ridiculous. I guess. I think if you're in the mindset of that type of video game, though, it's okay. But see, my thing is, is that because this is specifically a Total War game from this game series, right? you know, and if you're a Total War fan who's like, yes, finally there's a console version of Total War, this Mm -hmm. is sick, I'm going to play this now, I would be a bit miffed because I'd be like, huh, like... It, this just feels like a downgraded version of my Total War games, which it's a, it it's is. A spin-off. It's a spin-off, right? It's like the Sims Herbs yes. of the Sims series. It's exactly which is, what this is. Yeah. Which would have tricked a lot of people, into, like you said, into buying it. They would have figured, all right, sweet, Total War, and gone home and had a completely different experience. I remember going over to my cousin's house when we were kids. I think it was Christmas time. And he was playing this game on TV, and I thought it was really interesting to watch. I had never seen it before, but I can vet, definitely picture the case on the ground and uh, him playing this game on the TV Mm -hmm. and seeing the hordes of enemies on screen was something I was not really used to seeing yet. No, no, this was like, you know, this was like a Pikmin level in terms Mm -hmm. of being able to render everything pretty well on screen. Like, Mm -hmm. um, I think at one point there, you can have 170 people on screen at once and the game runs smoothly. I didn't have any, any problems with, uh, with lag or anything. So, but yeah, no, a good game nonetheless. And, uh, I was glad I got to play it. Yeah, glad you got to play it too. And it's only a one-player game, no multiplayer in this one. It looks fun. I think I would have enjoyed this game when I was a little bit younger, maybe 20, just out of high school when I was playing God of War nonstop. This would have been a fun game to pick up. For sure, yeah. All right, let me read the back of the case and we'll move on to Gun. Okay. You are the Spartan. You are the Total Warrior. From the creators of Total War comes the greatest battle ever seen on console. On one side, the might of Rome. On the other, the fury of the Spartans. And you, the Spartans' greatest hero, must lead the charge. Funny enough, this actually came out before 300. I thought that Hmm. this was like based off of or like inspired by the movie 300. Obviously, the the comic book had come out years before. But uh, I was like, oh, is this like because the movie coming out? It's like, no, the movie came out the, uh, the next year, so. 
Yeah, it's not a movie tie-in. It looks like one for sure. Spartans were huge for a few years there. <laughs> yeah, I know. Honestly, what, that was what a was that? Thing. What was going on there? I, I don't know. Three hundred just kind of blew up. I guess I don't know. Yeah, people love seeing the Jack dudes killing each other because there was also like Troy and everything. That's right, Troy. Yeah, yeah. which was not good. No, no, not good at all. All right, so let's move on to the last game of the day, which is Gun, was released on November 8th, 2005, developed by Neversoft, published by Activision, also on Windows, PS2, Xbox, Xbox 360, and PSP. On GameCube today, it's about $15 and rates about 8 out of 10. So Mike, Neversoft, they finally got off their butts making Tony Hawk games and they made a open world basically Red Dead Redemption game. Yeah, they did. I was I was I did not know that this was Neversoft. I Mm-hmm. Uh, I have seen this game everywhere. I would say yeah. every single store I've ever gone to, Gun has been there. Also, probably the worst named game I could yeah. think of. Like... Yeah, YouTube, YouTube Gun reviews, and uh, <laughs> yeah. you're gonna get some weird stuff. It's terrible for SEO. Uh, yes, it's, well, there wasn't there SEO was no back SEO, then. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. But uh, it just, just like, why would you name this gun? Also, the fact that like now anyone who be mildly, mildly interested in playing like a Western style game uh, is thrown off by the title "Gun." It's like, oh, gun! Mm-hmm. Like you're you're glorifying guns. You have a skull on here. Um, yeah, maybe it, it's I- not a good, not a good idea. I was trying to find the marketing budget for this game because I remember a, a time in 2005 when th- I felt like this game was everywhere in it terms was. of just magazines and posters and everything else. I couldn't find any information on that, but I'd love to know what it was because I just remember every skateboard magazine, movie magazine, like Gun was there. It's oh, like, well, when you, you and I were trying to figure out where to put certain games in certain episodes, we, we thought Gun might be, you know, close, almost close to a AAA game because it... Mm-hmm again you see it everywhere it must have sold decently uh and as kids we both remember this being you know omnipresent in right i i, I don't know where ads uh, yeah. uh nintendo power ads <laughs> in my mind it was everywhere i mean it didn't do crazy numbers in the first month the game sold two hundred twenty-five thousand copies across all four consoles uh, the game sold 1.4 million units in the United States as of November 2008. I'm guessing that's when it was probably discontinued. Mm-hmm. Um, it was relatively well received by critics and everything uh, across all consoles, actually. But it, once Red Dead Redemption came out, the the chances of this game getting a sequel or becoming a series were pretty much killed instantly. Yes. Well, actually, Red Dead Revolver came out a year before this game. True. So True. Uh, this game definitely feels, again, like a reaction to a Rockstar game. Like a clone. Could yeah. have been a clone again, I guess. But Yeah, but it fits better here for sure. It is mm-hmm. uh, It is an open world game, but it definitely has linear style narrative and missions. Yeah. Um, and I'd say the, the biggest problem, the number one problem with this game is the fact that it is... You know, it does not hold up today in terms of um, uh, just how the game, how the game, how you interact with the world, really. Like playing yeah. a Western game, like the gunfights, the riding horses around, uh, how characters interact with each other going into towns. They've gotten better at that for sure. And well, I was going to say, actually, that, yes, that. But the worst part is probably the way that they did depict Native Americans. Sure. It's, and it's really bad. It's bad were, for like even this time. Like, Yeah, that was like we said up front with True Crime New York. There was that controversy with the NYPD, which was, you know, bad enough in a way. But the uh, First Nations controversy in uh, Gun was even worse. Yeah. For sure. Oh. Activision did have a statement to reply. Uh, quote, we can uh, read their quote here. 
Activision does not condone or advocate any of the atrocities that occurred in the American West during the 1800s. Gun was designed to reflect the harshness of life on the American frontier at that time. It was not Activision's intention to, to offend any race or ethnic group with Gun, and we apologize to any who might have been offended by the game's depiction of historical events which have been conveyed not only through video games, but through films, television programming, books, and other media. That's a terrible apology. That's I know. awful. That's like saying, well, it's not our fault. Other people have done it. Yeah, it's like we're not as bad as everybody else. Yeah, it's bad. But uh, yeah, it's it, it's because a lot of the missions are just like you killing them. It's like we got to kill these Indians and then you just mm-hmm. like kill them. It's and you're like specifically targeting them to kill. Uh, right. And so that really that honestly took me out of it uh, a little bit when I was mm-hmm. playing. I was like, oh, man, this is like really bad. I think that might also be another reason why the game didn't get the sequel and why it's not such a collector's item nowadays is mm-hmm. just because the controversy outweighed the popularity of the game too much. It goes in our top 10 most racist games, Neil. Oh, cool. How's that <laughs> list looking? Do you have an updated list? I, I don't. I got, oh, okay. We'll make one at the end of this podcast. We'll make a book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the, the mm-hmm. gameplay itself it is fun. It, it plays well. It, the, the, the story is okay, I guess. The HUD is nice, uh, mm-hmm. nice to look at. But I think it's one of those games where Red Dead just does it so much better. Uh, it's um, yeah. I think that eight rating is a little inflated from when it came out. Uh, yes. It uh, Red Dead you can easily play today, like even the mm-hmm. old games. Uh, this one you, it's quite difficult I think to to pick it up again. It's it's tough, and there weren't too many Western video games. There still aren't really because of Red Dead. So to see, it would have been cool to have two yeah. competing Western uh, video game franchises throughout the years. Again, I just think they missed the mark with the name and the cover yeah. art and everything. Like, Yeah, like how do you come up with a sequel? Like Gun 2? Uh, I don't know. Because, so, you know, this is like not necessarily on topic, but uh, when I got Red Dead 2, my mom was super interested and wanted to watch me play because she loves Westerns. Hmm. And she loves that, that style and that aesthetic. And, you know, obviously Red Dead is a violent game. It's a rock star game. And right. she doesn't, you know, she's not someone who is interested in violent video games, as no mm-hmm. mom would be. <laughs> but right. uh, uh, she loved watching it, and she pl- she rode the horse for a bit, and, <laughs> and thought it was so interesting and so cool, and and had so much praise for it. Um, but mm-hmm. something like Gun, you know, I yeah. think really deviates from anyone who actually enjoys these games for the idea of just playing a western. And it's a bit more of like if someone who just knows the stereotypes of Westerns was to make a Western game as opposed to someone who made Red Dead Redemption who actually knows the history behind Americans, uh, the American cowboys and Indians in the West. Yeah. Uh, it, it really is a diff. That's the difference. Uh, like if I was to make a – I don't know too much about the history of, of cowboys. If I was to make something, I probably would end up making something more like Gun. But when you have people who actually know what they're doing, they'll make something like Red Dead Redemption, which will actually catch the eye of people like your mom who are interested in playing or just watching uh, Western games. Uh, it can go the same way with any sort of genre really like uh, – sci-fi yep. fantasy yep. you can tell when people who are making the source material know what they're doing I, and i'm my, you know my mantra for anything really is that if you make something good people will come people mm-hmm. will see it eventually people will play it eventually yeah. you know if you make something really with a lot of heart and clearly with like a cohesive vision right. uh, even if it doesn't sell uh, amazingly at the time uh, it'll it'll always go back to and it'll always be praised which i think is the most important thing really are you talking about our podcast i think i'm talking about our podcast <laughs> <laughs> I like to think we are. Jeez. Oh, well, Mike, should I read the back of the case of gun now, and then we can close up the episode? Pew, pew. Pew, pew. Partner. All right. 
Oh, I want to say Ron Perlman brings up his head uh, again in Gun. He he. <laughs> Ron yeah. Perlman is in Gun. I forgot to mention that. Ron Perlman was doing a great job in this time because Hellboy, Hellboy. would have been out by now. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Hellboy was in full swing, and he voices a lot of characters in video games. And also Chris Christopherson, known lizard, uh, Chris Christopherson <laughs> <laughs> plays a character in in this game, which is very fitting. Very uh, Western boy. So. Nice. Yeah, good cast in all of these games. Shout out to the cast. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, back at the case for Gun. It's a short one. Experience the brutality, greed, and lust that was the West. When life robs Colton White of all that matters, the only thing left he can trust is his gun. Good. That's terrible. <laughs> Journey as Colton on your quest to extract vengeful justice on those who have wronged you. See, and that's the thing is that like the Red Dead arcs are always so grandiose and there's so much going on. And this is kind of mm. just like... Go kill some people for stealing stuff from you, and also make sure to kill some Indians while you're at it. Yeah, a lot of Indian death in this game. <laughs> Mike, have you visited www.thegungame.com? <laughs> no. Sorry, gunthegame.com. I've got the game. Yeah. I feel so bad for the marketers who had to market this name. But they had a lot of money behind it, clearly. I think Neversoft just had so much money from Tony Hawk. Oh, for sure. Use that. Yeah. Why not? All right. Well, Mike, I, I think uh, after reading all these games and going through them and researching, I think you played them for the most part, and I think mm -hmm. you have a better idea of what game you'd like to buy. For me, I I'm definitely looking for 13. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a really good game, and mm -hmm. I I agree for it to be something that you should pick up. Um, mm -hmm. But for me, what I really want to pick up is the uh, True Crime LA, which I will be getting mm -hmm very soon <laughs> cool <laughs> nice choice and uh you're not going to get true crime new york just to complete no. <laughs> the, the set at all no definitely not getting new york i probably mm -hmm. will pick up 13 as well i think 13 yeah. is a great recommendation for people to pick up i think it has mm -hmm. everything you need in a video game uh, and i think also to stick it to uh uh to the publisher and developer of the uh the newest remake i think uh yes. Picking, yes. <laughs> picking up the uh old 13 is a good way to go I love sticking it to developers. A lot of fun. <laughs> and actually, up until we did this episode, I had Gun on the, like my sort of, I'll pick this up eventually list. But just after the controversy around it, or mainly just because it was a, a West, the only Western really on GameCube. Mm -hmm. But after hearing about the controversy and just how the game really doesn't hold up, and I haven't even played Red Dead, so I probably wouldn't play this one. I think I'll just pass. Yeah. No, that's, yeah. that's fair. Like, it looks cool. It looks fine. But then once you hear what the game is actually all about, it's like, I could probably miss that one and not really skip a beat. Yeah. But um, so, Neil, before we close out the episode, I do have one last question for you. And it is where you do you see open world games on Nintendo consoles in the future? And I'm thinking from the big publishers like Rockstar, Bethesda. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think what Nintendo's doing right now is an interesting uh, tactic where they're releasing Bethesda rpgs from like 10 years ago mm -hmm. uh they're, they're missing out on fallout and obviously grand theft auto I, I i just think that the power of their consoles i think that it's weak to say that the power doesn't uh harbor enough strength to have an open world 3d m-rated game it's it's just it's so i know hard to i answer always hear that argument but i know is like, it actually true like that <laughs> no because the witcher 3 came out a few years ago exactly and did fairly well and that's a very graphic game very violent so I'd like to think that they do put out more open world games. I think one a year is fine, personally. Yeah. Uh, but with, with specifically Rockstar, if you want to talk about the relationship between Nintendo and Rockstar, I don't think we're ever going to see a Grand Theft Auto fully realized 3D Grand Theft Auto game on a Nintendo hardware again. No. I also don't think we're going to see a 2D Grand Theft Auto game in the style of like Chinatown Wars. I doubt that, yeah. Yeah, that seemed like a very much a lightning in a bottle moment. Uh, so 
to answer your question, I think we're just going to see a lot of smaller developers, like almost that middle ground or the, what do you call that? The double A market? Making yeah, like the outer world worlds. I know yeah. that was like a, a kind of open world space uh, yeah. exploration game. Yeah. And then maybe in 10 to 12 years after an open world game now is released, I was going to use Cyberpunk as an example, but that's not a good example. <laughs> but just let's say Cyberpunk was a great 10 out of 10 masterpiece. I think maybe the next Nintendo hardware, we would see it. Mm-hmm. I think they're just going to be late to the party on a lot of these games because the games are technologically advanced because that's why we didn't see The Witcher on Wii U when it first came out. And then we saw it on Switch. It was downgraded, but it works. Yeah. And it also proved that people don't really want or don't need to have the best graphics possible to run a game. Like mm-hmm. People are willing to sit through load screens if it's to play The Witcher on a handheld console. That's why I'm very curious to see where Nintendo goes with the Switch Pro, for example, mm-hmm. if that ever comes out or if that's realized, because that does change the conversation a little bit. Um, if Nintendo ends up putting this this Switch Pro out, they can definitely reach out to developers like Rockstar and Bethesda and say, hey, look, these are the specs. We have them. You know, like we can mm-hmm. play these 4K games on this console. What do you think? So I don't see Grand Theft Auto ever coming to a console, to, to a mm-hmm. Nintendo console. You're no. right. But I, I can see a, a, a thaw with Rockstar and Nintendo in the future, depending on which way Nintendo decides to take uh, the their console or the, uh, which way they, they decide to take the Switch, basically. I would love to see Rockstar make a game for Nintendo again. I don't think it needs to be Grand Theft Auto. I think Grand Theft Auto is doing fine without Nintendo. Bully remake, uh, please. Exactly. Something like Bully, something that kids would be into. An open world game for kids. Like Pokemon is sort of like a kid's first RPG. Breath yeah. of the Wild was a good example of an open world game that's also pretty good for kids. I think Rockstar could put development time, and it wouldn't have to be much, but into something that a kid could really relate to. In in a school or in a neighborhood like Earthbound or yeah like South, like, like like the South Park games or like these ten year old kids playing <laughs> superheroes like it's just something like that would be so cool. I agree. And the Switch is perfect for that. Yeah, hundred percent agree. Mm-hmm. So Mike, why don't you let the listeners know what is happening next week on the GameCube is Cool podcast? Oh boy, Neil, next week is our fortieth episode. Wow. <sighs> oh boy, this is forty. Like this the is Paul Red movie. <laughs> this is forty. And it's kind of a bit of a hodgepodge of games, but they're mostly around the tactical RTS style games. So we have the Worms franchise, the Army Men franchise, and uh, one of your favorites, Neil, Battalion Wars. Yes, I love Battalion Wars. Which I didn't realize was a Nintendo published game. So Mm. there we go. We have one Nintendo published game and a lot of others here. We're going to be having a friend of the show, uh, Jason Hodgson, on to talk about the Worms franchise, which I have no knowledge of uh and i don't think you do either neil so just earthworm jim <laughs> he's the true worm <laughs> is he i can't believe they never did a crossover with earthworm jim and that i could be wrong that they didn't but i'm pretty sure i've never seen anything like that i i, I don't think that exists but uh we are mm. doing it for worms uh 3d's 16th anniversary which is going to oh. be uh march 11th so who could forget? Who could forget? <laughs> <laughs> Worms' 16th anniversary. Well, Mike, that sounds like a lot of fun. But until then, this was episode 39 of the GameCube School podcast. New episode every Thursday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the other podcast services. Leave us ratings and reviews so we can make the show better. We're the number one GameCube podcast on the internet. Follow us on Instagram at the GameCube Pod and check out our website, thegamecubeschool.com. Share us with your families, your friends, and Ron Perlman. Thank you so much for the support and helping us get to 10,000 downloads. On to the next 10,000. Until then, we will see you next week. See you later. Bye. GameCube. Over six.
600 games you've never heard of. GameCube. The product of what happens when you think inside the box. Game.